text today is from Titus 2, 11 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. All right, you may be seated. And preschoolers may be dismissed. Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out and be turning to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. We will continue our study through the book of Titus. Uh, For those of you who are visiting, my name is Corey, and I'm one of the elders here at Trace Crossing, and I'm really glad you're here. Thank you for uh, visiting this morning. Every couple of months, um, we like to give Pastor Matthew a little bit of a break where he can just come in and worship. He can, um, he can sing and he can have God's word proclaimed over him. And so I'm standing in for him today. Now, as I was preparing for this, I've just been thinking about how I think that the church at large, the big C church, has a few problems. And those problems are related to the gospel. And when I say gospel, I just mean the good news that Jesus died to forgive sinners. <clears throat> and here are a few problems that I think we face as a, as a big church. One is that we don't know the gospel. We don't know it. We have churches who preach self-improvement with a spiritual bend, and that's all. No power to save us from our sins. But it feels good because it feels like you're being spiritual. Number two is that we forget the gospel. We've heard it before, but we've forgotten it. And if you asked us what it was, we probably couldn't tell you or articulate it. And then number three is that we grow numb or cold to the gospel. And I think that this is the one that probably we as a church, could be most susceptible to. We've already heard the gospel several times this morning. And, you know, I, I think that I'm even part of this problem. It's like, you know, you, whenever you hear something, you're like, yeah, yeah, I already know that. I already know the gospel. I've heard it. You know, yeah, yeah, I know that Jesus died for our sins. And even like when I got this passage, Matthew gave it to me, and I'm like, Matthew, this is the gospel. We, we, do, we do this every week. Give me something good to preach. Give me something meaty, something theological um, that I can preach. Um, I had started to become numb in my heart towards the gospel. And I realized that. And as I've been studying this passage in Titus, the Lord has stirred the flame in my heart for the gospel. <clears throat> you know the reason that we keep coming back to the gospel as a church, over and over and over again, every week in our sermons, every few times, every few weeks, you'll hear a full gospel sermon here at Trace. The reason is, is that because it keeps coming up in Scripture. We preach through books of the Bible. Right now, all we're doing is preaching through Titus. 
But Paul lays it out in his epistles that the gospel is the foundation for everything. And this morning, we are going to dive deep into the depths of it, into the gospel. And we're going to hear the gospel this morning. It's interesting because the gospel is extremely shallow and simple, such that a child can understand it. Yet, it's infinitely deep, so that we can never search the depths of it. So this morning, we're going to explore the surface, and we're going to dive deep into the depths. Because in each of these, there are treasures to be found. And this morning, I aim to uncover that treasure for you. And I aim to show you a Savior that is worthy of all of your worship and all of your lives. Specifically, a Savior that frees us from all sin. He frees us from the penalty of sin. He frees us from the power of sin. And he frees us from the presence of sin. And I want to show you three things this morning related to those. One, the salvation of God's grace. Two, the training that God gives. And three, the hope of God's glory. If you want to, in your notes, you can put the penalty out by the first heading, and then you can put the power out by the second one, and you can put the presence out by the last one. Um, our sermon series this in Titus is called Beautiful Church, and this is called, my sermon this morning is The Beautiful Gospel. And my prayer this morning is that you see the gospel as beautiful. And if you don't know the gospel, that you will hear it and you will know it. And if you have forgotten the gospel, that you will be reminded of it. And if you are numb to it, that your affections for the Lord will be stirred up once again. So starting in our text today, looking down at verse 11, we see the word for. And anytime you see a word like that, it's good practice when you see a word like for to look back behind it to see what it's relating to. Words like for, therefore, because, so that are used to help tie things together. And Paul has just gotten done in Titus explaining that we should live in a certain way. Specifically, godly, self-controlled lives of high character so that we don't bring shame to God and make him look bad. And also, positively, so that we make our God look beautiful. Up a bit in chapter 2, in verses 7 or 8, it says, Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. And in, te- in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So Paul is telling them to live in such a way that they don't have anything bad to say about us, or what we believe, or who our God is, or what he's, what he's done. And this is very important, because what Paul is getting at here. And what he's speaking to is the power of the gospel to save. Paul is about to get into the fact that when God saves us through the gospel, he also empowers us to do good works. The people in Crete are showing by their actions that their doctrine, that their gospel, their teaching has no power. They aren't reconciled to God. They don't know him. Their gospel is false. And see, the problem is that Paul is not primarily concerned with the, false, the doctrine of the false teachers, but what their doctrine is producing. What we believe directly affects how we live. 
Look in chapter 1, verse 16. He says, They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. And Paul says, don't let anybody be able to say that about you. Why? Because our gospel can save. And our gospel does reconcile us to God. And our gospel reveals who he is. And we reflect who God is in our lives. And Paul is not saying that you should do these good works so that people think you're a good person and they think highly of you. That's not the purpose. The purpose of living righteously and doing good works is not for your glory. It's for God's glory. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. Showing all faith right before our text today so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The doctrine of God our Savior is just another way to say the gospel. God is made to look beautiful when we reflect his character in our lives. We put on the gospel. We adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We wear things that look beautiful all the time. Y'all think about that? Like, we put on things so that people look at something and they're like, want it. or you see that something, it's like, man, that's a nice shirt. Where'd you get that? That's what Paul is getting at. We want to live in such a way that when people look at us, they say, I want that. We want people to envy after the gospel, to want our Lord. Whenever they look at us, I want that. Whatever he has, whatever she has, I want it. It's different. The question is for us today, how do we do that? How do we live lives in such a way that God gets the glory? And what does that look like? Paul is going to show us that in our passage today. The first thing that I want to show you is the salvation of God's grace. Look at verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And he starts by saying that the grace of God has appeared and bringing with it is bringing salvation for all people. And the first thing that we need to know about this fact is that this is a miracle. The fact that God's grace has appeared is the most significant and beautiful mystery, a beautiful miracle in all of history. And if God's grace had not appeared, we would have never found it. Not only because it had to be made available by God himself, he had to do it, but also because we would have never gone looking for it. Romans 3.10, Paul says, quoting the Psalms, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We hated God. We're fully deserving of God's wrath. And even if we wanted to, which we didn't, but even if we did, say we did, we could never do enough to meet God's righteous requirement in order to be reconciled to God. The only way that we can be reconciled to God is by his grace. He is too righteous and too holy. We need God's grace. So what is grace? The definition is that it's unmerited 
favor, or blessing, and God's grace has appeared, and it is totally undeserved. Turn with me real quick, just a few pages left, to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Just a couple pages to your left. Y'all got to see this. Paul writes here too. Same author. He says, who saved us? Who is this? God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose in grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God's grace has appeared, and it has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ, which he gave us in Christ. Matthew told me that I can't preach this as an Advent sermon. He said that I had to wait because we're like almost at Advent. But I was like, okay, we won't call it an Advent sermon. But we all know that it's an Advent sermon. The grace of God has appeared, and it's appeared in the God-man Jesus Christ. Our Lord took on human flesh in his his incarnation, lived a sinless life, and was crucified for us. And he was raised for the dead. He bore the full penalty of God's wrath. He stood in our place. He died the death we deserve. And now we can have everlasting life and be reconciled to God. Church, do not grow weary of hearing this. Don't grow tired of hearing the gospel. This is our one and only glorious hope. This is it. Don't get tired of hearing John 3.16. We've heard it millions and millions of times. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We will not die. When we die, we will be with him. In 1 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We become the righteousness of God. Only because of what Jesus has done and only by faith in him. But there's more. Look at it with me again at 2 Timothy 1.9. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We cannot lay claim to this. Jesus gets all of the glory because he has done it all. We cannot earn God's grace in a place with God. Ephesians 2.8 says it the most clearly. We know this too. For By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. We may not boast in this. Our only boast is in Christ alone. He has done it all. When, though? Before the ages began. Think about this. Before the world was created, before Adam and Eve sinned, and certainly before all of us were born, God had his own purpose to bestow his grace on us in Christ Jesus. Let that wash over you for just a minute. God's grace is so sure in your life in Jesus that he had already made his mind up before the world began. 
For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. Last look at 2 Timothy 1.10. Y'all didn't know I was preaching uh, 2 Timothy this morning, did y'all? <clears throat> 2 Timothy verse 10. And which now, what? This holy calling, this purpose and grace, which now has manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality and light through the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the doctrine of God, our Savior. This is the grace that has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, this all people does not say that everyone is getting into heaven. I don't think that Paul is arguing for universalism here. And we find all over the New Testament that there are people who will not go to heaven. But remember the context that we're looking at in Titus. Paul has just finished the sentence just before this, talking directly to slaves. Then he follows up one verse later saying that God has brought salvation for all people. All people. Namely, that God has made salvation available through his grace to all types of people, rich or poor, Jews or Gentiles, free and slaves. Slaves, salvation is available to you too. It doesn't matter what kind of background you come from, what you've done, who you are, salvation has come in Jesus and is available to everyone. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. So we've solved one problem. Namely, being our problem of sin, God's wrath, and our broken relationship to God, and all of those are being restored in Jesus. But we haven't resolved yet how we actually live lives to reflect God's glory. That's Paul's whole thrust in the book, and that's what he's getting at. How do we live our lives, good lives, doing good works, not profaning God with our lives, but making them beautiful? How do we do that? And we're going to see that the gospel dives even even deeper than just saving us from our sins and giving us eternal life. God's grace is actually what enables and empowers us to do what he requires of us. God's grace is doing two things in this passage. It is bringing, and it is training. Turn back to Titus real quick. I'm done with my sermon on 2 Timothy. Back in Titus 2, we pick up in verse 12. Going back to 11, then 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And he goes on, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Paul's argument here is that the same grace that we've just learned about, the saving grace of Jesus, also trains us. God gives us training in godliness through his grace. But what does he mean by training? What Paul is getting at here is kind of the idea of training or raising a child. There's so much involved when it comes to raising a kid. Um, You teach them. You encourage them, you love them, you support them, you provide for them. And this is the essence of how God's grace is operating for us in the life of a believer. Jesus is is getting at this in the Gospels. When he shows us how God relates to us as Father. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And what father amongst you, if his son asks for a fish, instead of a fish will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Grace has come into our lives to train us the way that God expects us to live. So saving grace is not just a one-time thing and then it's done. Saving grace teaches us and exhorts us and disciplines us and encourages us. This is what Jesus was getting at too when he was getting ready to ascend to heaven and he said, I will be with you until the end of the age. Do you believe Jesus when he says this? He is with us, training us to be what he's called us to be. Um, One thing about me, I love martial arts movies. I love all kinds of them. But one of my favorite is The Karate Kid. And in it, most of you have seen Karate Kid. You have to have. And if you haven't, you deserve spoilers at this point. Um, But there's a kid, he's probably a young teenager, um, probably 13 years old. He's in high school, and he's getting bullied in school by several guys. Um, And this all kind of comes to a head, and he's getting beat down and jumped by these guys. <clears throat> and so as he's getting jumped, this old man jumps in. And he just takes them all out easy, like pop, pop, whoop, flips one, and then they all go running. And the kid's like, dang, that was crazy. And so he asked Mr. Miyagi, this old man, Daniel's son, asks him if he'll train him. He says, yes, I'll train him. So he's come to my house. So he comes to his house, and Mr. Miyagi just has him do all of these chores, like painting his, painting his fence and waxing his car and then sanding the floors and he's very meticulous about how he does all of it. You know, there's very, you know, he won't let him do it just anyway. And finally, Daniel's son is getting frustrated. He was like, Mr. Miyagi, you said that you were going to teach me karate. He's like, I train you karate. He was like, well, I don't feel like I'm learning anything. He's like, learn plenty. And he's like, well, I can't tell. And he said, a lot is unseen. And so Daniel's son starts to walk away. And Mr. Miyagi says, come back. And he's like, show me how to paint the fence. He's like, it's like this. He's like, show me how to wax the car. He does this. And as he's doing that, Mr. Miyagi starts attacking him. He's like, ah! And Daniel's son blocks everything. He's like, whoo, 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 whoo. And then he realizes after he's blocked everything, he's like, whoa. And he has a light bulb moment. And he realizes that Mr. Miyagi knows what Daniel's son needs a lot more than Daniel's son knows what he needs. And he also realizes that there's a lot more to training than just learning moves. A lot more to it. And Mr. Miyagi says a lot is unseen. And this is very similar to how the grace of God operates in our life. He trains us. And most of what God is doing in our lives is unseen. But this is the gospel. And we have faith that God is producing and working in us. The same faith that Jesus has been raised from the dead is the same thing, the same faith that we need to believe that he will be with us until the end of the age. And the same faith that we need to believe that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation is the same faith that we need to have to believe that the grace of God has appeared bringing training and godliness. It is by his grace. Okay, so we've established that God is, by his grace, training us to be the people that that he wants us to be. But how is he training us? And what is he training us to do? Exactly. God is training us to do two things. To to deny and to live. Look at our text again, 
verse 12. The grace of God training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. First, he trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We are to deny anything that will pull our affections away from God. Church, this is a battle of affections and loves. That's what we're dealing with here. Sin, the world, and Satan will try any way possible to pull your loves away from God over and over again, and they are all lies. All ungodliness and worldly passions promise to satisfy us, but they destroy us. Satan and the world hate you and your family. They want to destroy you. Renounce everything they have to offer. Satan's going down. He's trying to take everyone he can with him. We renounce all of these things because they are not worthy of our praise, worship, and love. Listen, God is not keeping anything good from you. You can renounce these things. Y'all know that's the original lie, that God is keeping something from us. That, believing that lie has gotten us into a lot of trouble so far. Adam and Eve believed it. Look at us. You hate to see it. This lie is not true that God is keeping something from us. Jesus Christ gave us himself. He is worthy of our praise. He loves us. He is our creator. His grace trains us. So we turn from that stuff. And we turn to him and we set our affections on him because he loves us. So we renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And then we live. Grace teaches us to live. There are three different aspects that (coughs) grace trains us in. Look at our text. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright, and godly lives in the present age. So these are the three areas, and they kind of go in three directions, in, out, and up. God trains us how to relate to ourself. He trains us how to relate to others, and he trains us how to relate to God. First, we have to be self-controlled, exercising control over our own self, our mouth, our body, our eyes, what we look at. We don't need to be giving way to lust and gossip and laziness, and substance abuse. And the thing about these are is that most of these are hidden. So nobody would really know. These don't affect anybody, you know. But God cares deeply about these things because he loves you and they affect you, and it's sin, and it grieves them. He will train you to have self-control. Second, grace trains us how to relate to others. This is what he's getting at in the whole uh, crux of the book of Titus. He calls us to be upright. We are to live in such a way that people see our lives and glorify God because our actions are righteous and upright, good and loving. And then finally, we're, li- we're to live godly lives. This is just attributing proper praise to God, having a reverence and a love for him. Now, one thing that I really, really want you guys to see this morning is that your obedience and righteousness have been blood Bought by Jesus. You being able to do all of the things that God has called you to do is not wholly dependent on you being able to muster all of your strength. 
You have been bought by Jesus. And he is fully invested in empowering your obedience and your sanctification. Look at verse 14. Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We can be sure that this, is, this thing is going to work, that grace is going to save us and train us for good works because this is the whole thing that Jesus died for, who gave himself for us to redeem us from these things. Jesus didn't just die to save us from the penalty of sin. He died to save us from the power of sin. Sin has no power in our lives anymore. He died to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify us, to make us zealous for good works, and to make us his. We are a people of his own possession. The language here is a, tri- is a prized or treasured possession. We can be sure that Jesus will keep us and train us and disciple us and be with us and bring us home because we who believe in him are the prize for which he died and he will have his reward. Now, I'm not saying that all of this is automatic. We don't automatically become holy and righteous and make all of the right decisions and renounce sin and preach the gospel All of that takes time and work. But God will give us all of the grace that we need. You've heard Philippians 2.12. Work out your own salvation through fear and trembling. We've heard that. But don't stop there. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation through fear and trembling. It is God working in you for his pleasure. So we march forward trusting that God's grace is working in our working. This is the gospel, church. Sin has no power over us. We belong to our Savior. All right, last thing. The last way that we can live in a way to make God beautiful is to wait in blessed hope. The hope of God's glory. Look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have already seen one appearance of Jesus in this text. And the first time that he appeared, his first appearance was grace. The first time Jesus brought grace and truth in his life, death, and resurrection. But there is another appearing of Jesus to come. And the next time he is coming in glory, the appearing of his glory. He came the first time as a servant. He will come the next time as a king. He came the first time to take away the sins of man. He will come the second time to judge all men. You know, growing up, I had like, I felt like a, there was a lot of fear surrounding this day, this second, second appearing of Jesus, even in the Christian community. I find that kind of strange. Make no mistake, this should evoke fear, a healthy kind of fear in all of us, you know. Um, but I just, I just don't get that. Especially, you know, for those who don't know Jesus, you should fear that day. But for those of us who do, what do we do? 
we wait. And blessed hope. John Piper calls this happy hope. We yearn for the day that we will see our Savior face to face. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Loved his appearing. There is a crown of righteousness coming to all those who love his appearing. We are dealing with our loves here. This is our savior. This is not a fearful day for Christians. This is the great hope of the gospel. We will behold his glory. So how does this impact our living? How does this help? Well, first, Christians should be the most happy and hopeful people on the planet. And not the kind of weird type of happy, but hopeful. People should be able to look at us and see the hope of the glory of God. Remember this hope. Think on this, church. Stop thinking so much on this world and remember that Jesus is coming back. We would do well to yearn for this day and love the appearing of Jesus. Paul summarizes this well, how to live in light of this in Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the earth. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is the gospel. This is the good news to sinners. This is the doctrine of God, of God our Savior. He has freed us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day he will free us from the presence of sin, and sin will be no more, and we will be with our God. <clears throat> there is another doctrine that's called the perseverance of the saints that says that once someone has been regenerated or saved by God, they will continue doing good works and believing in God until the end of their life. What do we Baptists call that? We call it once saved, always saved. <clears throat> and it doesn't mean that you walked the aisle and you, and you said some, some prayer and now you're just good to do whatever you want. It means that when you put your hope and faith in Christ, he makes you his own. And by his grace, he disciples you and he trains you and he keeps you until the end where he will have his treasured possession and he will be yours. Turn real quick as we close to the next to the last book of the Bible, Jude. Looking at verse 24. It says this. Listen to this, church. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless 
before the presence of his glory with great joy. His glory, his glory is coming and he will keep you from stumbling and present you before it with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, before the present age, now and forever. Amen. This is the depths of the gospel. You want to know how someone can look at our lives, our good works, our righteousness, and yet God get the glory and we not get the glory? Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. It's because he has done it all. It is finished. Pray with me.